Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach, because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Hello and welcome back. Season 9 of the Weight Loss Podcast continues. I am Matt, here as always with my partner in everything in life, Courtney. That's me. That is you. So let's just jump straight in. We are here to wrap up what was originally going to be a one-part podcast. Yes. That became a two-part podcast and is now a three-part podcast because of how awesome you are. Thank you. Courtney's Biggest Challenges, part three. Yes. We've got the last three to go here. Let's just jump straight in. Let's. Courtney, talk to me about imposter syndrome. What is that? Well, imposter syndrome is, huh, how do you describe it? It is basically. How do you describe it? I know. I'm just trying to think of what the actual definition is. But I'm going to say I describe it as feeling like you're not good enough. Because you mm. feel like you're doing a job or you're playing a role in life that you're not good enough to do. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. The first thing that comes to my mind is it's a way to talk yourself out of things. Yeah, definitely. Because you don't think you're worthy Yep. or capable. Capable. Yeah, that's a good word. So how has this affected you? In, I, what, way, well, in what way have you felt like an imposter? I think for me, it like happened a lot of different times throughout my life. Big one was when I went into the fitness industry with you, Matt, when we opened up our gym. Yeah. Which, by the way, is uh, 10 years ago this year. Yeah, it is. (sighs) Yeah. Is it? It is. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. Mm. Did not think that that was going to be 10 years ago this year. But there you go. Um, Nice round number. I think for me that was when it was sort of at its most heightened. But I've always had a bit of a a bad habit of always talking myself down in terms of my capabilities or what I can do, what I should do. These sort of things. I think for me, I've always been, um, had not a fear of making mistakes, but anxiety around making mistakes. And for me, it's always been a bit of a, well, if I don't know how to do it, I don't want to do it. Mm. Um, That was definitely me when I was younger and I've had to really work on and learn how to be okay with giving things a go. So let's elaborate here from a weight loss perspective. How has this factored into things? How, like, in what way did this hinder you? I think for me it's mostly just in the terms of getting in my own head and talking myself out of doing things. Such as? I think when it comes to weight loss it's really um, striving for big goals. It's probably a big one. Um, putting myself out there with goals, like sharing my goals with other people, um, 
just sharing my lifestyle with other people. So I know originally when I first met you, Matt, and we just started working together and I was working out at the gym and I was changing my eating habits, I think even then I didn't feel comfortable explaining to people what I was doing and the changes I was making. It's the fear of judgment. It's the what if I fail? Um, is this wrong to do? You know, should I be doing this? It's it's always those sort of things that I would really talk myself out of things really easily. Um, and then, you know, once I started achieving results, it's talking myself down like I think I mentioned in my last episode when, with complacency that I would start to feel myself a little bit too quickly in terms of my, my celebrating of my wins and that sort of thing. I think with imposter syndrome, it came also with me never feeling like I was doing enough or good enough or mm. um, like my goals weren't good enough. My um, I would flip-flop between these two of um, I would I would make, have success and I would want to be excited about that and – you know, slip into, easily slip into sort of my complacency. But I'd also feel like that success that I had that I'm really excited about wasn't enough. I actually think you may have really hit the nail on the head when we, we asked each other, like, you know, how do you define imposter syndrome? I reckon you just drilled it then. It's not enough. I'm not enough. What I've done is not enough. What I've achieved is not enough. Yeah. What I'm working towards is not enough. And talking about it now, I can see the hypocrisy in the two mindsets that I have. It's different when you inside of, it, though. In terms of complacency versus imposter syndrome, mm. but you, I never felt that when I live it. It's really yeah. just when you know you talk about it now, like you see that hypocrisy, like, but you don't feel that when you're in the moment. Of course. So it's different when you're in it. There's there's obviously emotion, yeah, involved, and emotion is very good at removing objectivity. Yeah from the room definitely so speaking of imposter syndrome and speaking of when you got into this line of work with me tell me about that tell us about that I think it's just a matter of sorry wrong time to burp um I think for me imposter syndrome came in waves it usually comes from me wanting to do something and talking myself down of but why would you want to do that? Why do you have that goal? What? You're never going to be able to achieve that. Okay. Um, you know, other people do that. <laughs> like that's what she looks like, but you're never going to be able to look like that. That sort of thing. That's where it came for me a lot when we first started. And then over time I got very insecure about telling people what a lot of people what I was doing. So obviously my family knew because I was living at home. Um, my closest friends that I worked with knew, that sort of thing. And they didn't really ask too many questions, which I was happy about. Um, but I was sort of fearful that they would start to almost joke around like, oh, you're, you're on a diet. Who do you, you know, what do you want to look like? And open up that can of worms when I wasn't. I wasn't confident enough to be sharing those sort of things because I really didn't think still that maybe I deserved to be someone who looked like that or even I could look like that. As in look like what you thought a trainer should look like? 
when when I started training with you, like like training others in the gym, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm referring to. Oh, sorry, definitely then. Um, I think I thought you were talking about when we started working together in no, terms no, of like no, no. We're, trainer client. No, because you because you mentioned you mentioned it it was a, a a pretty big thing when we got into our gym. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at here. I definitely well, it was a new it was a new career yeah. pathway for me, so I didn't come from. The fitness industry. To be fair, no one does until they do. No, but I was very new to it. So mm. I'd literally gone from client to trainer. Um, I didn't feel like I knew enough mm-hmm. to be able to feel feel like I could train other people. I didn't feel like I had enough knowledge to pass on. Yeah. I was petrified that someone asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that I looked good enough to be a trainer. I thought that people would judge me in terms of, oh, when they found out that I was a personal trainer, they would think like, oh, why? So. Yeah, the funny thing is though, you're in tremendous shape. Yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works, isn't it? Yes, it is. Do you know why I thought you would be tremendous as a trainer? Why? For one simple reason. It's got nothing to do with what you do or don't know. Or being able to answer questions or not, because there's still questions I can't answer. I just, you know, if I don't know, I don't know. And sometimes I don't know, but I might be able to find out. With you, what stuck out to me where you would be such an incredible trainer is because you've done it yourself. Yeah. You've walked a mile in those shoes. That trumps any certificate, any qualification. It's different. It's different when it comes from a textbook versus you've, you've done it yourself. Yeah. Now, on the subject of imposter syndrome, when we were working together at the gym, did you ever get past it? Yeah. How? I think in just doing, for me, I think – I wouldn't say I never got – actually, I don't know whether you could truly say I ever got past it to the point where I never thought about it. I think there were still times that I would feel conscious, self-conscious. But generally speaking, just like anything else, the more I did it, the more I felt more comfortable with it. Mm. The more I practiced, the more I understood that I, I did know the answers to questions. And once you feel that, you know that it gives you confidence to feel like, okay, maybe I, I do know what I'm doing. I think when I, you know, you, you'd hear things from people like what you said, Matt, when people would come to me and say, oh, I want to lift like you lift or mm. I'd love to have legs like yours yeah. that sh- that are shapely like yours. And it, That was me that said that to you, wasn't it? Every day. Mm. Um, but I think in those moments it starts to make you remember that what you see isn't what everyone else sees. Yes. So I think it just came with time, really, just time and being more confident with what I was doing. Does this still affect you now in some yeah. ways? Yeah, every time, pretty much every time I start something new. Ah. <laughs> every time I start something new. Has it, does it affect you to the point where you talk yourself out of whatever it is? I don't think so these days. Yeah. I think that the older I've got, the more I've been able to talk, like to think to myself about really what's important and is, yeah. this, a, is this really a big problem? Like, like I say, I catch myself saying that to myself a lot these days when I'm thinking about things, and I think, is that really an issue in the in the big picture? Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think probably the severity of it is less, but 
the automatic reaction is always there for me to be hard on myself. Yep. Um, and I still don't love learning new things and I still don't love. Really? No, not really. Because I don't love not being good at things mm-hmm. or capable at things. I don't necessarily have to be the best at everything, but I don't like not being capable at something. Can't be good at everything. No, you can't be. Um, and I don't like making mistakes because I feel like I'm going to let people down. So that all plays in to my struggle of being comfortable with new things. But definitely as I've got older and I've got more experience doing new things and I think it's just sort of like um, runs on the board. Like you have, you have money in the bank as such. Every time you do it, you get more confident that it's okay, the world didn't end. And for me, I feel like my personal journey has led me to having those runs on the board or, or the money in the bank where I can lean on that and be like, I think that's why I get less and less stressed or to the point where I just don't do things because I'm able to lean on those experiences and be like, yeah, okay, it's not comfortable, but I know I can do it. What do you think of the phrase, fake it till you make it? I love that phrase. Mm. I use it all the time. When I'm training new people or when I'm in my um, other job and I've got um, new um, team members that I need to train, I use it all the time to tell them. My other expression that I love, which an old manager and one of my closest friends, she's still my closest friend, one of my closest friends to this day, um, but she's all I'm thinking of, that's back from your hospitality days? Yes. Yeah. And she trained me back then and she used to always say, it's not a problem until it's a problem. Does she listen to us? I don't think so. Mandy, if you do, you're the best, love. You are the best. But it's not a problem until it's a problem. She always used to say that to me. How true is that? And I, I, tell, I say it to myself these days all the time and – Whatever job that I'm doing, my team like around me, they always get sick of hearing it because I say it all the time. And they say, yes, really? we know. And I say, well, do you know? Do you, do you remember? Mm. <laughs> and I say it all the time. So I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my old manager used to tell me, yeah. it's not a problem till it's a problem. And that one I've also found is a really good one to remind yourself of. So before, before we move on to the next one, could you sum up for us? Someone who suffers from imposter syndrome, which I think is, I think we can both agree, is common. How do you, I'm not going to say how do you get past it, how do you deal with it, summing it up, how do you you deal with this? I think for, for me on that one, it is, a lot of it is when we talk about imposter syndrome, I think the term fake it till you make it is really perfect for me. I think it comes down to leaning on your strengths. Lean on your strengths and fake the rest till you make it. And also reminding yourself that those people that you think are the most capable in that particular field or look the best or have something that you desire to have don't necessarily know the answers either. I can't tell you how many times that I would have conversations with trainers who I would confide in that, I felt like I was out of my depth or I didn't know what I was doing or I was worried about it. And they would say to me, oh, what exactly are you worried about? And I would say, I'm worried that someone will ask me a question and I can't think of the answer straight away. 
And I had these trainers who I looked up to as the ones that I needed to mimic tell me, I don't know the answer Mm. half the time. You read so much, you can't retain every little bit of information. And I remember one in particular said to me, I have to go and look things up all the time because I can kind of remember it, but I can't really remember it off the top of my head. Um, So it's just those things. Another trainer gave me a tip once of um, if you don't know what to say in the moment, like if you're feeling like you're under pressure because you – you kind of know what the answer is, but you're just trying to remember. Because you know what it's like, Matt. You read stuff all the time. You're constantly learning. You're constantly reading. You don't remember everything, especially me. I have a brain that just does not retain a lot, a lot of information. Oh, well, it's just part of part of the human human build. Like we're not going to retain everything. I have a brain that remembers pieces, mm-hmm. and then I can either rely on my memory or I have to go back and look it up. And she told me – Ask, ask the client what they think first because she said in their answer they're probably going to be jog something in your memory to make you think, oh, yes, that's right, <laughs> now I remember. So it's just little things like that. Like make sure you, you know, you're, don't put too much pressure on yourself and remember the people you're idolising aren't perfect either. I think that's one of the biggest ones for me. Mm. And Reach out, like learn from them. I did. Reach out to people who you want to model yourself off and, and ask them questions. Explain to them what you're what you're feeling anxious about. That's a good way to break down barriers. Because I, I found personally it was the biggest one for me to either get tips like I just mentioned. Like that was a great tip and I used it all the time and it really did work for me. Mm. Just the way that my memory works, it needs like something to jog its memory and I yeah. found that was really useful for me. But it also reminded me that that person I was emulating as the perfect trainer that I needed to be wasn't perfect. And there's no perfect trainer. There's no perfect person. So it was a really good reminder. Um, I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, we often set too high standards for ourselves that are impossible to reach. Often as well with that, the person you probably are comparing yourself to, you're putting on a, an unrealistic pedestal. You're also diminishing little things in that though. Like that, like the trainers I was thinking I had to compare myself against had yep. been in the industry for five times longer than I had. Yeah. Um, there was so many differences. They they trained different clientele than I did or we did. There's there's so many differences. So that just in that particular situation of me becoming a trainer, those those would be the tips that I would give. Okay. We'll go to the next one. Yep. Talk to us about a challenge with food variety. What is this? Food variety is basically just, um, like as it sounds, a variety in what you're eating. So what the food you're consuming, there's variety. So there's multiple choices. So you're not eating the same five things every day, seven days a week. And how did you how – how was this a challenge? There's a challenge for me because I get sick of food very quickly. Food boredom? I get food boredom. Mm-hmm. But I also have limitations in the food I can consume. What limitations? Let's lay them out. So I don't eat dairy. I don't eat gluten. I don't eat onion. I don't eat garlic. I don't eat beans like legumes and mm-hmm. beans like that. Why? 
mostly for me, it's digestive system. So I'm not celiac. I'm not allergic to gluten. I'm not allergic to dairy. I'm not allergic to those other foods. I've just found over the last 10 years that those are the foods for me that irritate my digestive system. I bloat, I retain fluid, I get stomach pain, I get constipation, and it's just not it's it's just for me it's not worth that mm. to consume those things. You pay a price for consuming them. Correct. Mm. Now, why do I have that? I did not grow up that way. However, the older I got, the more those things presented themselves. Yep. Um, it has been suggested that some of it could be my endometriosis. Yep. There is a bit of a um, – studies are showing there is a bit of a relationship between endometriosis and IBS symptoms. Really? So there are some doctors out there that if you are showing IBS symptoms, they will encourage you to look into endometriosis. Yep. Um, I have not had a deep dive in those studies, so – if if that is something that interests you, don't take my word for it. Go and deep dive into it yourself. It's just going by what I've been told. Yeah. Um, for me, I have not deep dived into it just because I didn't necessarily find a reason to for me. Once I found that those things were affecting my digestive system, I didn't really find the need to understand why. It was just for me personally, these affect me. I've tested to see if I'm allergic. I'm not. They still affect me. I'm not going to eat them. And how does this tie in with food boredom? I think for me as well, the other hand, the other side of it is the fact that I get bored of food very easily. So I'm not someone who can have the same thing over and over and over again. I will start to literally hate that dish. Is there is there like a universal for you or a general time frame for this or is it dependent on the food itself? It definitely dependent. I honestly couldn't tell you why. Okay. Some some things I get over quicker than others. Okay. Um, but there's if, no patterns you've noticed? No. Okay. Because there's some things that I could have more often yeah. and then there's other things where I'll make it one week and I'll make it the second week. But I'm not having it for every meal. Mm. But if I make it like say a third week, I'm done. Okay. And there's some things that I would be done for months. Like I can't make that again. (laughs) But then there's other things where a couple of weeks and I'm back into it. Yeah. But yes, I'm a weird person when it comes to food because say like an omelette filled with, um, I don't know, chicken and veg or cheese, tomato, like a a nice omelette for breakfast. I could have that every day. Yep. Don't ask me why. I could have that. And not the others. It's very strange. I'm a very strange person when it comes to food. This is well. You be, actually, food boredom is far more normal than I think you're giving it credit for. It is extremely common. But with you, how has how has food boredom affected you? Like, what has it led to you doing from a behavioural perspective? It's really just challenged me to continue to really focus on my food and my prep. What I'm, what I'm asking though is, what has happened previously when you've got bored of your food? In terms of the outcome, yeah, I just, I've always just stopped eating it. Yep, but it hasn't sort of like led to like for some people it could become a proximity issue, or they make they make food up for themselves. They're they're sick and tired of it, but there's a block of chocolate in front of them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I just stop eating it. So then I just wouldn't eat the meal at all. I'd skip the meal, and if I skip a meal, I'm just going to snack. Mm-hmm. So. 
there's always, yes, a flow and effect to yep. not wanting the food that I've prepared for myself. It's also just highly annoying <laughs> to feel like I'm wasting food that I've prepared. Well, it's basically throwing money away, isn't it? Yes. And time. How do you get past food boredom? Or, or how do you improve or how do you deal with your food variety? I think it comes a lot down to planning. Ah. Sorry, I need a cough break. Oh, hang on. I'm going to press the cough button. Well, that was messy. Sorry. It's all over me. <laughs> it is not. I'm um, recovering from like a sinus attack. My sinuses have been so bad today. My whole face is puffy. Anyway, you can't see me, so it's fine. You this still... is where you've got a face for podcasting <laughs> on days like this. Ah, oh, you're still beautiful. So if my voice sounds a bit funny, that is why. Because you're a bit funny. Because I'm a bit funny today. So back to the question at hand, how, how do you deal, how do you ensure that you give yourself food variety? You mentioned planning. Planning is a big one for me, the biggest one, because I think, A, you need to do the um, pl- First off, actually, if you feel like you have some intolerances to food, like there are food that just don't agree with your body, then you also need to put the time and the effort into knowing that and really making sure that you're noting that down. So I know for me when I first met Matt, I was encouraged to try more food because I ate very little vegetables when Matt and I first met. I was not a big vegetable eater. Um, So Matt definitely encouraged me to try more food, didn't you? So get the variety in by trying new things. Also bringing more, bringing more nutrients into your body, but also introducing you to potentially more variety. Yeah, and it was great because I definitely eat things like vegetables and different foods now that I never ate before yeah. that I met Matt. So that's step one is definitely do that. From the result of that, I was really a lot more in tune with the way my body reacted to food. So really taking note of that. And then in terms of food boredom, for me, it's really just like this is where your food preps come from. Yeah. Um, and really making sure that you sit down and actually plan your food for the week. Whether you do one food prep or two or three, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Some, I've no, I have noticed uh, plenty of people sort of lead themselves to believing, oh, I've got to plan and prepare for an entire week every single time. Even more than a week. No, Some you people don't. think, oh, I've got to do two weeks. You absolutely do not no, have to do that. You could just do two days. You don't have to freeze your food. Matt and I don't freeze our food just no. because we personally don't like it. And we are, we live a lifestyle where we're able to work food prep into our weeks. So we don't need to do that and we don't enjoy that. So why do it? So we prep usually at least twice a week. Yeah. Sometimes with an extra bonus little one on the weekend because we might cook a special dinner that we hadn't thought of until that week and we think actually I just saw this cool recipe I really want to make it let's try this today yeah Um, which sometimes happens as well yeah um and that works for us so whatever your whatever you want to do and you may not know straight away in the past Matt and I have just tried one one a week we have tried two a week we have tried three a week it's all about trying it we have tried more and and freezing food and defrosting it we've tried all of it and I think it's really important just to find what works for you and stick to it. You've got to test and assess and just be prepared to take your lumps, don't you? Yeah. But for me, the biggest one for food boredom is the fact that we do prep a couple of times a week. So I don't have to think, oh, am I going to want to eat this on Sunday, like next week? I'm, I'm cooking it on Sunday. How do I know I want to have it on Thursday? 
it it's just one of those things where I know that I don't have to think that far ahead. All I have to think about is do I want to eat this today, tomorrow, maybe into the next day, like three good days? Would I eat this for three days? Would I have this for lunch for the next three days? Yeah. And then for me, it shortens that window of me potentially feeling like I'm going to get bored and sick of something because I've overcooked it. And then for my second prep that week, I might cook something different. Um. So having that option of, for me personally, having splitting my food preps and focusing on shorter periods of time, for me, it's worked to help my food boredom. That's also – well, that's the recommendation I would give. Food boredom is, is – with with people that we deal with, it's more common than uncommon Yeah. to, to suffer from food boredom. Like if someone says to me, oh, I've just got bored of my food, like, okay, yeah, cool, that makes you like pretty much everyone else. Yeah. That there, I think what you've touched on, Courtney, is the real strategy is you might think to yourself, oh, well, how can I get really good with meal planning and preparation if I also get bored of my food pretty quickly? No. You getting bored of your food quickly tells you how often you need to plan and prepare. So if you know that your certain foods you have or you personally, you – you're, you have a, a use-by date or an expiry date where, okay, I'm going to get bored usually within a couple of days of having the same thing. Cool. That tells you when your next prep should be. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yep. So that's where you've hit the nail on the head, Courtney, where there is no one right way to do it. It is about assessing different methods and finding out, okay, this is a, this is a routine that works in with me. It works in with my tastes. And works in with you know my whatever my food boredoms or your food boredoms might be. Yep. And of course, it has to be sustainable. Yes, it does. Uh, anything you want to add to that? No, I don't think so. All right, Ronda, lucky last one. Probably say the best one till last. Talk to us about anxiety. Does, anxiety. does, does this affect you much? Yeah, it does. Really? Yeah. How? For me, anxiety, I've, I've suffered, I've been an anxious person. I don't know if you can say, I don't know, I want to get the terminology wrong. Okay. I've never sat down with a therapist, a psychologist, and been clinically diagnosed with anxiety. Yeah. I just never have. I just know from talking to people, from talking to professionals, from reading books, that the feelings I've had since I was a teenager – are anxiety. So I don't know whether I say that I have anxiety or I, I'm a, an anxious person. You're a warrior. Know, I don't know the best way to phrase it, but just a disclaimer to start off with, that that is where I'm at. I know that I suffer with anxiety. I'm an anxious person. And sometimes in the past, it, it has been really, really bad for me. But I've never been clinically diagnosed with it. I'll just okay. say so for me, I'm I'm have been an anxious person since I was a teenager. And for me it's always been not necessarily for for when I was at school, I wasn't great in social situations in terms of large parties, things like that. A lot of that for me was also that I wasn't happy with the way that I looked. Mm. So I was very self conscious. So in those situations I didn't feel comfortable from that more so. I think it got particularly bad for me when it was I was in my late teens, um, into my 
sort of early 20s, so, you know, 17 to 21, I think for me got got really quite bad. There was times where I couldn't go to sleep unless I told my mum what was bothering me. And then there was nights where I barely got any sleep. Like I would just, I would just, my mind would just be rolling with things that I was worried and feeling anxious about. Um, And then I started to feel anxious that I was bothering my mum with these. Like this is how the cycle, like this is how deep the cycle goes. Then you start to get anxious about making other people's life horrible by coming to them all the time with these worrying thoughts. So then I started to write them down. So I'd write them down in a in a little journal before I went to sleep and then I was able to sleep and then I'd, I wouldn't worry that I was upsetting or annoying my mum. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a strange cycle when you get into it, when I get into it. I don't think I've ever been as bad as as then since. Um I've done a lot of work through my 20s and now into my early 30s on myself and understanding my feelings and trying to work on coping mechanisms to help myself. I think luckily we live in in an age now where there's a lot more spoken about of that sort of thing. There's a lot more books, audio books, podcasts. So always multiple times a year I will seek out books, podcasts, uh, TED Talks mm. to really make sure I stay on top of of techniques that I can implement in my personal life to help with my worrying and my anxious feelings. How has it affected you from a weight loss perspective? I think for me, it really triggers a lot of the other things that I've spoken about. So I had it last on this list on purpose for me because it really feeds into a lot of the other things. Yep. So it will trigger emotional eating. It will trigger ah. proximity eating. It will trigger sometimes um, comparing myself to others. So these are the sort of things that it would often trigger and this is where it would often affect me with my um, my body transformation over the years. Um, worrying, getting in my own head, talking myself down, talking myself out of things. Um, for me, my anxious thoughts and my worries don't come now from social situations. People that have met me out and about wouldn't know the difference usually over time when I'm going somewhere where I don't know anyone and I'm going by myself. So maybe you're not with me, Matt, or that I don't know literally anyone there. I'm meeting everyone for the first time. I still get a little bit anxious, but usually I can fake my way through that these days. Yeah. And then I sort of find somebody that I can feel a connection with. And then that's my buddy that I've, yeah, that okay. they don't know, but I have buddied up with them for then the entire event. Yeah. So I can usually find that person and then I'm, I'm, my anxiety levels tend to drop after that. So it isn't as big for me these days. For me, my triggers are often um, because I'm a people pleaser. If I feel like I've upset someone, if I feel like I've let someone down. that Those two there from just my simple observations will probably be your biggest ones these days, those two right there. Yeah. And I think a lot of things then feeds off that because what I used to do, this was what happened when I was going through my really bad phase when I was in my late teens, early 20s, was I would actually make up scenarios in my head that were never going to happen. <laughs> so I would say do something 
And then I would have this internal story line in my head that would tell me that that person's going to find out what you did and be angry. And you would think, what? Like, you would think, what the heck? Where did that come from? Yeah. But that was just a very natural, common, automatic thing in my brain that would happen. I would convince myself that someone was going to be upset or that I would have done the wrong thing. I've made a mistake. Therefore, X person's going to be upset with you. Therefore, they're going to get in trouble or the business is going to lose money or this is going to happen or it, it was a snowball. It wasn't just that person's going to be upset with you. It was that person's going to be upset with you and then this will happen and then this will happen and then this will happen. And it wasn't even like could happen. Like the storyline in my brain was literally like this is going to happen. And that was at the point where I really had to tell like my mum who was like my closest person at the time where I could go to with this sort of these sort of thoughts and she would tell me, no, 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 it's fine, that's not going to happen. And I would, I would trust and believe her and I could calm down. I still didn't completely stop worrying but it would definitely calm down and I could sleep and be fine with it and work on like fix it the next day or deal with it the next day. But I think for me over my life as well, it's taken up, it actually takes a lot of time to worry. It takes a lot of mental energy. It takes a lot of emotional energy. So when you're emotionally and mentally tired, you, I make poor food decisions. I make poor um, um, decisions with my workouts aren't as good as maybe they could be. I'm not focused enough on what I'm doing because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of all these other things. You're not present? I'm not present. I think then when it comes to not only that, not only time just from being emotionally and mentally tired, it's also time in wasting time trying to avoid things happening that haven't happened yet because I've convinced myself they're going to. It's unbelievable if I look back on my last, you know, 15, 18 years of life, how much time I would have wasted, physical time, how much time I've wasted driving back to places to check that the door's locked, which happens a lot, which for me and my anxiety is a trigger for me. So if I don't think I've locked a door, so I'm leaving my workplace, I'm leaving my home, I'm leaving my car, I will always these days try to be not the last one to leave. Because I have anxiety that I will get anxious, should I say, that I will have left that unlocked. Or the roller door open. Or the roller door of the garage open. And I can't tell you how many times in the last 18 years that, or not even that long because it would be less than I've driven, but my whole driving life that how many times I have driven back to a workplace. I drove back to my hospitality establishment more than once when I was working in hospitality at one o'clock in the morning because I got home and I didn't know if I locked the door. Did you? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's time out of my days and my weeks then that's also wasted. And impacting sleep time in that case too. So it's impacting sleep. It's impacting then the time that I have to do my workouts, the time that I have to do my food prep. So when those things get really bad, 
it's not only impacting my well-being, it's impacting the time and the energy that I have to put towards the thing that really matter to me. How do you deal with it now, today? I think now, I think my voice is getting worse because I think my nose is getting more and more blocked and I I sound very funny. But anyway. We'll power through. We're powering through. I think for me now, as I said, I've worked really hard over the last 10 years to really work on this and I definitely am getting better at it. I think my experiences, definitely I would say since in, like in the last three three years, yeah. I reckon, have made me, I think I've come even a lot, a lot further. I think my experiences through the last three years have really made me reflect on life and think, is this really a big deal? And I try to use that a lot now. I think trying to reflect on the experiences you've had in life and the people and the lives of people around you, mm-hmm. you know, makes you sit back and think, okay, when I'm getting anxious and I'm sitting in my car driving somewhere and I'm in my head and I can't stop thinking about something or the dialogue's rolling, I have to really stop, sit back and think, okay, is this actually a really big problem? Is this where that phrase comes back up? It's not a problem till it's a problem? Probably less so I've used that one in terms of myself. Yep. I've just tried to make it a bit more simple of, okay, in the grand scheme of things, is this really a oh, big problem? Big picture perspective. Big picture, more so. Yeah. Um, I've tried to utilise things like that. I've definitely done some – try to utilise tips with different things that I've worked um, – on in the past, there was a great book called The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins that I found really impactful for myself when I read it. So all about, you know, giving yourself a time frame to act and it's you really have to act. If you don't act and your body thinks that you're you're hesitating, for me, it's really worked because then I start to get anxious because yeah. I think, why am I hesitating? There's something wrong. What have I done wrong? And it's usually what I've done wrong. That's the other thing I've noticed with my personal anxious moments is I'm quite hard on myself. So it's always not what has somebody else done to me. It's always what have I done? Yep. So I think for me, it's always constantly trying to seek out things that are going to help me work and and move forward on this. I think just journaling has been really beneficial for me. So writing down my thoughts. Yep. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, I've done that for the last 10 years. I sort of did it when I was really in my bad period. I went away from it. I've gone back to it. I've gone away from it. I've gone back to it. But it has always been something for me that I know works for me. So I've always tended to go back to. Um, I think where I'm at now, I'm very much back in my journaling and I'm really loving it. And I think one of the mistakes I've made in the past with journaling is that I've put too much pressure on it to be perfect, which sounds ridiculous, right? You're just writing down your own thoughts. What is perfect journaling? But for me, if I didn't write it perfectly or if it didn't look good or if it didn't make sense or if I did, if I missed a day, well, I've stuffed it. Applying the diet mentality to journaling. Pretty much. Okay. Like it was like that all or nothing thing, like it had to be done perfectly otherwise yeah. I wasn't going to do it. Whereas I think where I'm at now and what I've learnt with my journaling is that it's something that generally does help me. So I do need to keep the rhythm of it, but it doesn't have to be perfect. I went through a phase where I was doing it every day because I needed to because that's just the headspace I was at. I really have to tailor my journaling to where mentally for me it flows. So there was a period there where I was doing it daily because that's what I needed. 
mentally at that time. I did it daily for a month. Then I realized that I didn't need to do it daily anymore after that month. And I went to once a week. So I feel like for me now, I've realized it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't have to be consistent either in terms of the same time frame. If I decide this month I'm going to do it daily, it's because that's what my my emotional self needs. And then when I feel like I don't need to do it daily anymore, I'm going to switch it up again. Would you say then journaling is a tool and Absolutely. you use a tool when you need to use it? Absolutely. Okay. It's it's For me, it's been really important. I've noticed just from, again, my – you know, limited perspective from what I've seen as as your husband, journaling goes a long way for you. Yeah, I can actually tell the difference with you when you are journaling and when you are not, and when you probably need to be. Yeah, I can pick it. Yep. And when you when you're on it, and when you're doing it, you can just tell. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm deliberately asking the, you these questions from a perspective of Courtney. What do you do? I'm not going to say, Courtney, what advice do you have for everyone that has anxiety? Because there, <laughs> if we can solve that problem, like what, we're in the wrong line of work. Yeah, we are. But from for just you know, like relating to your perspective, it seems from what I've noticed, journaling seems to help a lot. As does, I don't think you've mentioned this yet, asking questions and yeah. giving voice to the things that make you anxious, even so you can then hear other people say, "Ain't a problem, love." Hundred percent. I think that's a really big one. I think opening up to the nearest people around me that certain things makes me anxious yep. has been really big. Being vulnerable enough to share that with the people around you has really helped me because they've understood then if I say this this doesn't make me feel comfortable, I'm not feeling good about this, can you just tell me whether this is okay or not? Yep. And they don't look at me weird anymore going, what do you mean? You want me to tell you if this is okay? Yeah. Like they just look at it and say, oh, I understand what you're saying. Yep, that's cool. Yeah. No questions asked. That makes a world of difference. That no one looks at you in that way of what do you mean? Um, they just understand because I was vulnerable enough to share that with the people that were closest to me. Um, I think the other thing that's really helped me is also understanding that there's certain things that I'm just not going to change about myself. So – I've also heard the term high-functioning anxiety. I have not done a deep dive into this, so I don't really know. It's sort of a recently I've come across this. Maybe you should. And so I don't know much about that. Maybe I fit into more of that bracket because it doesn't necessarily what stop it, me what is it? from living my life. I think what I read was it doesn't necessarily debilitate me from going and doing things, but it affects my life. Yep. If that makes sense. I, as I said, I don't want to talk out of school because I haven't done research into it, but I've only recently heard the term. I don't even know whether it's clinically a term. Maybe you should look used. into it. But I think for me with anxiety too, what I've realized for my anxious feelings is to stop trying to get rid of them to change them mm. because that all that was doing for years was making me more anxious. And then I would do it and I'd beat myself up for doing it because in my mind I've made a mistake because I'm not supposed to do it. And then you roll on from there. Like it's a vicious cycle Ugh. that I would get into. So I think for me one of the big ones is admitting that to myself and just putting strategies in place. Like most people that are close to me now know that I don't like to be the last play person to leave the house or I don't like to be the last. My work, um, my other work, my team there know 
I don't like to be the last person to leave if I can help it. So they will lock the door. You ask me that a lot when you and I go, especially if we're going somewhere for like an overnight stay or a weekend or a holiday, you get me to go through and do the, the lap of the house. But I'm so used to it now, I do the lap of the house and check all the locks before you've even asked. Yeah. Or like I'll say to, like I'll say to Matt when we've left, hey, did you lock the door? And he'll just say yes, and sometimes he makes fun of me or he gets annoyed. But I just need that reassurance of knowing that I asked the question and that he said it was locked. And then, and then literally, I will go away and I will not think about it once. I will not have anxiety about someone breaking into the house or the car or nothing, mm. because Matt told me it was locked, and I believe him. Well, I, I guess I jump ahead of it now, and we'll go and do the tests and make sure everything's all locked and, and sealed before we even leave. Even though sometimes when you ask me, oh, did, did you check that front gate? No, nah, I think I left it open. I know. He jokes around and it's not funny. Um, but I think for me it's having the – also that comes down to vulnerability, right? Because yeah. I'm not afraid to admit that this is, a, this is a trigger for me. Yeah. I think getting over that fear of admitting that I have these anxious thoughts is probably the most I've ever spoken. I don't know if I've ever done a podcast about my – anxious thoughts in the past. I don't think we have. But this is probably the most I've spoken about it Yeah, that is going to be broadcast to a lot of people. How do you feel about this going all over the world? I actually feel fine about it now. There yeah. is a little tiny voice in the back of my head that says, oh, my God, everyone's going to think you're crazy. But it's not the overwhelming. I don't have fear or it's not bringing up anxious emotions for me right now. Um, I actually feel these days about letting people know that these are limitations for me. Um, I've come to a place where I can accept the fact that these are limitations for me and I don't need to necessarily change them. I need to work within them. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I that I use. For me also, if I'm leaving somewhere, for instance, that I do have to be the last one to leave and, and lock up, whether it be the house or Especially work, I find it really difficult to leave a workplace or a work site and be the last one to leave. So I will actually literally video on my phone me locking the door. Really? Yeah. You listening are finding this out at the same time I am. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, how long have you been doing this for? Oh, quite a while. Are there videos of this on your phone? Can no, I, I, de- I-, I delete them. Oh. I never actually look at them. But for me, it was just a little thing that I've been able to put in place for my own mental health because then if I get home huh. and I do that question of, shit, did I lock the door? When do you, okay, when do you delete them? Oh, when I'm going through my camera roll and I try to clear it out. Oh, when you've got no more space on your phone. No, I've still got space. <laughs> but I'll just sometimes see them there and I think, oh, I should have deleted that one. Yeah, okay. But it's just that, it's just literally, it's just a backup for me. And my mental health. That makes complete sense. So it's going to stop me from driving back there if I get home and think. And I also like try to just be more present when I'm locking the door because then I'm not going to question whether I did it. You know, you go on autopilot a lot of the time. I I actually get that sometimes myself leaving home. Yeah. And it was actually only a couple of weeks ago. I was driving up the street. I'm like, shit, did I? Chucked it in reverse, reversed back down the hill. Oh, no, I did close it. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. 
Yeah. So sometimes that would happen to me in the past. That's what I think a lot triggered a lot where I'd get home and I'd question it. I truly didn't have an answer because yeah. I honestly just did not remember whether I did it or not. Oh, when you're in autopilot, your mind's somewhere else. You, your body's just doing its thing, isn't so it? So the, that's why I record it now. If I'm mm. literally by myself, I will sometimes record it because – and I very rarely have ever looked at them. I don't think I've looked at one Okay. because I know in the back of my mind I've got that. So if I did get home – and I questioned it, I could look at the video. It's a backup yeah. that for what would amount to, what, 10 seconds of time saves you how long of worry and potentially how long of driving back to places to check. And I don't know whether that's a great thing to do. There might be some psych- psychologist listening to this thinking, that is not good to do. Well, don't do that. If, but- if there is, please tell us why. Because my, I, would, I would need to be corrected because my first thought is, well, this is helping you. How is this a bad thing? It's helping you and not hurting someone else. So I don't see how this is a bad thing. Yeah. So it's for me over time, it's been putting those sort of strategies in place. Yeah. Making sure that I'm more aware of my time. I'm more aware of my emotions. So it comes back into what we spoke about in the first episode of this series and my emotional eating, proximity eating. Yeah. Really focusing on what my triggers are for those to be able to work on them. Focusing on the mental and physical energy that I'm putting into things that are upsetting me. And if I feel like it's getting on top of me, then really making the conscious effort to sit down and figure out why and working on that. Don't just, for me these days, it's not about just letting it go and it'll sort itself out because I've realized again how much time and mental and physical load that I put into it Mm. if I get, if I let it overwhelm me. And it's not, to me, it's not worth um, my goals. To do that. Wow. Anything else you'd like to add? I think that's enough. I think everyone's sick of listening to my weird voice today. We got there, dude. I do apologise for my voice, my nasally voice that I have and that I'm rocking today. Can I say thank you for taking the time, this and the previous two episodes, to actually explain and flesh all this out. You're welcome. You are welcome. You've done very well. I just hope that it might have helped someone. Well, hopefully you listening have got something out of this. I suppose if you're here now listening to us say this, we would like to think you got something out of this. Yeah. Even if it's as simple as, oh, it's not just me. Yeah. Because I can tell you now, no, it's not just you. Yeah. Like even, I, I, would you consider me an anxious person? No. There are some things that will trigger me. Yeah. It's for a different, a different discussion for a different day, but I, I think every, everyone has it in, in in some way. There's always going to be some things that will just – there are some things that will make me lose sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think it's normal, isn't it? I think so. Everyone, everyone is or can be a warrior to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, a lot of it depends on what, what happens in your life. There's things that are out of your control. That, yeah. might, that might trigger me as well, and yeah. I can't control those. All I can do is try to control what I can control. Control the controllables, as we like to say. And then if something happens that's out of my control, that triggers um, me, Yeah. just working within that and leaning on the people that are close to me. And I, I, as I said, I've never actually reached out for professional help with this. However, I'm not opposed to. I haven't reached out not because I don't want to, or I don't believe in it. I absolutely believe that it has a place. Absolutely. It's just that each time I've sort of got to that point where I felt like I needed to, 
is sort of around the similar time that I started to make gains in the other direction. Yeah. So it just never worked out to be the point in time where I've made the decision to do it and I've I've continued to go backwards. Mm. So just the timing for me has never worked out to be that I felt like I really needed to do it. Um, well, it's also a tool, again, isn't it? It's a tool you could use. But it's another answer. tool that yeah. I would I would not be closed off to using in the future. Mm. Um, and I, I would definitely recommend for other people to reach out. On a slightly different note, I would like to get a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, or one of each, on here for an interview. Yeah. In the future, I think there's a lot to be said about the psychology of weight loss. Absolutely. And the things involved. Again, a, a different discussion for a different day, but Courtney, thank you for taking the time and being so candid. You're welcome. What's what's that phrase you use? Um, is it extreme vulnerability or extreme candidness uh, from a book that you read? Extreme ownership. Uh, I'm I'm struggling with there's just a, there's a, there's a book you read maybe from your your friend Mel Robbins about being really as open with things as possible. Radical candor. That's the one. Radical candor. Thank you for your radical candor. You're welcome. Where'd that come from again? Uh, it was it was from a book. It's a book called Radical Candor. Okay. I think it's Kim Scott, but don't quote me on it. I can't remember. Okay. But um, if you just look up the book Radical Candor, it is it is very good. Um, it was a good read. I, I liked it. I'm glad you remember. So, yes, anyway, thank you again, Courtney, and thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week for the next episode, which is going to be about fake away foods. Yeah. How do we do fake away foods? How do we suggest and recommend our clients do fake away foods? If you ask me, legitimate game changer with regards to, hey, I can get the flavors and the tastes and the types of foods that I love without having to compromise what I'm working towards. So it would be a bit of a change of pace. Yeah, food talk. With that one, we're going to be talking food, but some really yummy stuff that we do. So again, thank you for joining us. Courtney, again, thank you for your radical candor. Can we give a quick shout out to our Facebook group? Uh, The Weight Loss Podcast. So just go to Facebook and search The Weight Loss Podcast. Join our group. Who's in there? Just... A bunch of amazing like-minded people, uh, and us, and us. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great community, actually. So yeah, and where can we be emailed if there's any feedback or suggestions or questions? Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com. Love getting emails; makes it feel special. It's just dot com, yeah, not dot au. Yes, just dot com, yeah, just dot com. Perfect. <laughs> Had to think about that. Yeah. All right, we're out. Thank you. See you next week. Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 